0: As with all crisis teams, the public relations and human resource team members play a critical role. How we communicate internally as well as externally to customers ranks high on the list of importance.
1: You're listening to the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media, a podcast for professionals responsible for the safety and well-being of their employees. Each episode features an interview with a leader in employee safety to discuss how to protect your employees from a wide array of threats from severe weather to a global pandemic. Let's get into the show.
2: Hello and welcome to the Employee Safety Podcast, where we discuss insights and ideas for how to protect your most valuable asset, your people. I'm your host, Peter Steinfeld, and I'm joined today by Larry Robert. Larry serves as VP of Business Continuity at Rockland Trust. Larry, thanks so much for being here. I really appreciate it. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for asking, Peter. All right. Well, excellent to have you on the show. Our core topic today is incorporating external communications into crisis management. But before we begin, can you tell our listeners just a little bit more about your background?
0: Sure. Great. Thanks for inviting me, Pete. I really appreciate the opportunity. I've been in business continuity, disaster recovery, and crisis management for approximately 40 years. I've watched the changes in the profession over many decades, seeing how the advances in technology has changed our profession in many ways. We went from disaster recovery in the 70s to business continuity in the 80s and 90s on to risk management, and now we're entering a new phase of business resiliency, which is in its early stages. It's been a great ride. My career has spanned many areas of financial services, banking, insurance companies, as well as aerospace, defense companies, and government entities. I've had the opportunity to build programs in many locations in North America, as well as various international locations, such as Sydney, India, London, Paris, Ireland, Bermuda. I mention these locations because many times there are factors that make developing programs in those locations challenging, such as reliable infrastructure, power, roadways, local and federal government regulations. They all play a part in how we approach continuing business during a time of disruption in foreign locations. I landed at Rockland Trust for a couple of reasons. First, I have the opportunity to build a world-class program for a growing financial services company, which is always exciting and challenging in our profession. Secondly, from a personal level, I wanted to cut back on travel, and Rockland Trust has a great work-life balance approach. It's recognized throughout the business sector. It's a great organization to work for. I also maintain multiple certifications in the field. One in particular is a business continuity lead auditor, This helps when going into new companies from an assessment perspective, which helps me identify challenges early on. I've had the opportunity to be on a board member of the Association of Contingency Planners in New England and also a board member of the New England Disaster Recovery Information Exchange. I've done several FEMA training sessions on pandemic planning and incident command and control. But things are quiet in the business sector. I'm always part of the Disaster Action Team with the Red Cross, which keeps me fairly busy working with first responders and understanding how the public-private sector works from a collaboration standpoint.
2: Fantastic. And just for the benefit of our listeners, can you just tell them very quickly what Rockland Trust does?
0: So Rockland
2: Trust is a growing regional
0: bank of approximately 1,600 employees, headquartered in Massachusetts, with branches and operations centers in many eastern Massachusetts cities and towns. Their mission is summed up by their commitment that every relationship matters. To see this firsthand, you come to appreciate it more than just a tagline. They actually live it every day. My role as the vice president of business continuity is to assess risks associated with their daily operations and implement a holistic business continuity program. This includes things like risk assessments, business impact analysis, creating, maintaining business continuity plans, crisis management plans, and assist our technology department with their disaster recovery plans as well.
2: Okay, fantastic. And then I know you also have your own consulting company called Sipican Continuity Services. Can you just briefly tell us about that?
0: Sure. So Sipican Continuity was created when I was working in Washington, D.C. We address companies' specific concerns relating to risk management, crisis management, resiliency, and of course, you know business continuity. These services predominantly are short in timeframes and targeted to specific areas. Sometimes a client has a program in place, but is looking for, to further develop a specific area to strengthen their program.
2: Excellent. Well, if the audience couldn't tell, what I was trying to do is to establish the enormous wealth of experience that you have. (laughs) I'm sure there's nothing you haven't (laughs) seen and nothing phases you at this point in your career. So folks, we have a really, really experienced person on the line with us. Oh, thank you. Thank you again. I really appreciate you being here, Larry. Thanks. So when you implement a program for an organization, whether it's for Rockland Trust or a different organization, where do you start?
0: That's a great question, Peter. Many times, Going into a new engagement, we have to come up to speed as quickly as possible. New business, a new building, new people. It can be difficult for a novice to know where to start. One, I always start with the organizational chart. What it does is a couple of things. It identifies the hierarchy of the company, showing me not only who runs the company, but who is responsible for critical areas of the business. Secondly, the organizational chart also lays out the various departments and sub This gives me a general scope of operations. If there's an international aspect of the business, then I start looking at those businesses separately from an organizational perspective, because all events are local and they should have their own infrastructure in place as well. Third, I look for any signs of program or components of a program that currently exists. This gives me insight into the depth as well as the structure of any existing components that I can leverage in the building process. Four, if there's a business continuity program, I look to see if it follows any structure from a build standpoint, meaning does it follow any industry or regulatory guidelines. With all that information in hand, I schedule a meeting with all the senior management staff individually in each department. My agenda is very simple we discuss existing risks associated with their area of responsibility. And what it would mean if those responsibilities or business processes were unavailable for a period of time. Some of those risks we discuss are business impact, customer facing impact, cash flow, employee safety, as well as any facilities and geographical risk. With the background information that I bring to the meeting, I can focus on pain point areas that are specific to that manager that may need attention from a risk mitigation standpoint. You know, notice at this point, we haven't discussed continuity, disaster, or crisis topics. Focus is risks, right? I then lay out my approach and ask that they assign a working manager and a team leader to work with me in future development of the program. I explain how a business impact analysis works and that I will be coming back to them to review and validate our
2: findings. That's an excellent framework. It's kind of like you've created a, the trunk, and then all the branches will flower off of that, depending on the meetings you have and how things unfold and what you uncover. But that's a, it's an excellent way to set the table, I think.
0: So basically, that's where the work starts when we go through all those steps. These steps lead me to getting a sense of the makeup of the crisis team as well. Not only who is on the team, but also are the various departments represented on the team. If a crisis team is in place, I then focus on the responsibilities of each of the team members during an event to make sure everyone knows their roles and responsibilities and all departments are represented. This understanding of roles and responsibilities for their crisis team specifically is in alignment with FEMA Incident Command Training. So we try to align the public-private sector. How the public operates, we try to bring that into the workplace as well. Getting these teams set up really helps from an overall program building perspective, not only initially, but as various types of events
2: occur. That's fantastic. I know our focus today is mostly on external communications, but what are some of the most common internal communication challenges that you see at the organizations you work with?
0: Well, Peter, you know, we have an excellent multi-communications path at Rockland Trust. In my early years, I stressed the need for an automated notification system. Early communications is needed at so many levels Within the company, having the right team in place with specific roles is critical. In a past experience, about 15 years ago, we had a fire in one of our operations centers. At the time, we had a paper based call tree in place. Our crisis team comprised of approximately 30 people. With two business continuity managers making calls and giving updates to crisis team members, it took approximately 40 minutes to reach all of the members, instructing them to join the conference. By the time we got to the end, The situation had already changed. If there's one thing a company can do to enhance their crisis response is to get a notification tool. We went from 40 minutes giving 30 updates by phone to sending out one message, reaching the crisis team in seconds, not 40 minutes. It was a great time saver. And the same message is heard by all, so there's no misrepresentation. With all events, a post-event review is always conducted. I use a simple timeline of the event to look at the opportunities to enhance the program. The tasks with the greatest gap in time are looked at more closely. Once identified, we can then look for ways to tighten up those long gaps that will in turn reduce recovery time.
2: Yeah, I think what you said at the beginning was really insightful, which is not only does a traditional call tree take so long to disseminate information if it even works in the first place, but by the time you get all the messages out, the situation could have totally changed. So absolutely, speed is absolutely of the essence. <laughs> absolutely. Yep. Okay. Well, it seems like there's a news story nearly every week about a company that, well, let's just say had a less than stellar handling of its external response to a crisis or some other kind of significant business event. So what are some of the most common external communication challenges a company might face? And why is this so difficult?
0: Well, you know, that's a good question, Peter. You're right. This does happen often. One reason is that these types of events are not common for the business. Mm. They're running their day-to-day operations. They're keeping the business running. A disaster, or more importantly, how to respond to a disaster, is not on the tops of their minds. Our job as professionals in the area is to, one, build the right team, two, train the people, and three, conduct regularly scheduled simulation exercises. Keeping disaster recovery on the forefront of people's minds is key to a quick and calculated response. The best time to plan for a disaster is in a classroom, not when a disaster occurs. When it comes to employee and public safety, where a location-specific event has a far-reaching impact, such as a chemical spill, a well-run crisis team will work with municipalities and first responders, specifically the public information officers, to formulate how and what is being communicated to the news media that most likely will be on site, which presents another aspect. Designate an area for local media communications in the facility or another specific location. Make sure it's not in the proximity of the actual event where triage may still be occurring. And secondly, getting to the area should not take representatives from the media through any operational areas. Typically, on a major event, The order in which they speak follow a pattern first it's the representative from the first responders police chief fire chief then it may be business chief communication officer or designated spokesperson then a local politician and depending on the severity it could also include a state governor another reason for the difficulty that comes with events is the shock factor many companies struggle with getting factual information as to what actually happens, such as the scope, impact, injuries. Some folks get paralyzed when they think of all of that is needed to respond properly without causing panic. This is where a seasoned crisis manager becomes focused on one, getting accurate information, two, a phrase I like to use, take out the white noise. You will be bombarded with so much information that it will be hard to cull through all of it and focus on the facts. Three, the first thing is, assess. Can this situation escalate? If the answer is yes, then that is the first and foremost on the agenda to address. That is why conducting simulation exercises with first responders involved is so important.
2: Yeah, it seems like if you want to make sure that you can handle this when it happens, because it is so unusual, you got to practice and you got to involve the people you know will be involved, like first responders. So it'll just bring that muscle memory into play. Coming back to something you talked about earlier, when providing your consulting services, if a company you come into already has some kind of crisis management plan in place, what are the factors or standards you use to evaluate it?
0: First, I look for any evidence of its effectiveness. This can come from training exercises that have been conducted or any meeting minutes. I look at the makeup of the team. Are they all senior level folks? Is the team made up of action people? people that know the intricate details of the operations, you know, they say the secret of crisis management is not good versus bad. It's preventing the bad from getting worse. Mm. And, you know, another way to put it, crisis management is not to stop a crisis from happening, but stopping it from getting worse.
2: Yes, stop the bleeding. So
0: that's why it's important that when we look at different scenarios, and we look at different solutions we put in place, we cross the whole spectrum of the various types of events that could happen. My worst fear is when a crisis happens, people pick up the plan. It's not the plan that recovers a business, it's the planning. And that's where training, training, training comes in. Training can be in the form of simulation exercises, infrastructure testing, outsource vendor preparedness, and department level training, and a long list of other types of, of training exercises that a company can engage in to keep everyone prepared. Training is most important than the actual document itself. What you want to have staff instinctively react to an event, not because they read it, but because they have been trained in what to do. Training and education is not a one-time thing. It needs to be consistent and reaffirmed on a regular basis. 9-11 was a great example. The week prior to 9-11, we conducted a recovery exercise company-wide. When 9-11 happened, everyone knew their roles and responsibility. We deployed quickly and effectively. Although a very tragic event, what people didn't see was all the crisis teams being activated across the globe based on that attack. More so companies in and around ground zero. One of the lessons we learned during that event was to account for the emotional trauma that in some cases paralyzed decision-making team members. After that event, in future training exercises, we incorporated dealing with emotional trauma as part of the crisis team.
2: Mm, that's fascinating. Yeah, it's always the human element, right? It's often overlooked and we tend to think people are robots and they're not, they're humans and they've got things going on in their lives when a crisis hits and it doesn't mean they can execute even if they've practiced a lot. So I, I love that, that idea.
0: Yeah, and you know, it definitely makes a difference when you're in the simulation exercise phase. Any simulation exercises I conduct now I make sure I take a key person out of the picture. Yeah. Sometime during the event, something happened. There was a personal connection to that person. We need to make sure we can pull a person out of the crisis team and replace them with somebody just as confident to make those rational decisions.
2: Yep. It's all about continuity when things get bad. Exactly. Well, now that we've identified some key communication challenges to consider, let's talk about how to solve for them. So, how does Rockland Trust integrate both internal employee communications and external media communications in its crisis management plan? Because I can see the two going together. If, if people internally aren't marching to the same yeah. the beat of the same drum, then it's hard to communicate externally as well.
0: True. Very true. So. Now, as with all crisis teams, the public relations and human resource team members play a critical role. How we communicate internally as well as externally to customers ranks high on the list of importance. A spokesperson for the company must be trained in public speaking. Gathering factual information proves challenging in times when information is questionable and difficult to come by for the crisis team. Sometimes holding statements are developed to provide some response with the assurance that more information will be shared as the situation unfolds. No comment is not an appropriate answer. There are many venues for communications that each require a different format and cadence to the messaging. So when we talk about internal employees, usually it's detailed with action steps. So that's one type of messaging we do. Internal to senior and executive teams, clear, concise messaging, is needed at this level, level, high-level, company-wide assessment of the event. Then we deal with external clients and customers. That's where we rely heavily on social media and our website messaging. External critical service providers, making them aware of a possible interruption in service. And then depending on the type of event, we may need to notify federal and state regulators. So that's a different type of communications that we have. Also, as I mentioned before, if first responders are involved, the company public relations team member should be working with the public information officer to share information. Inviting first responders to the simulation exercises helps to know what to expect when they arrive and what are they looking for from an information standpoint once they arrive on site.
2: Fair enough. Well, what's your general approach? And you touched on this a little bit, but to advise an organization on how to handle all the external communications there are today, such as the media, social media, public relations. I mean, there's just so many more methods of communicating with the public now than there ever were in the past.
0: Sure. So, you know, social media is important these days as everything is in real time. We ask that, you know, you post updates as the situation allows, be responsive to comments, And respond to everyone on the platform in public. Avoid responding to individuals directly because it would take an enormous amount of time if you are receiving hundreds of comments and many times when you respond privately and directly your responses get reposted. So respond openly is advised as much as possible. Project a sense of control of the situation is important. That's why public relations team need to be involved either internally to your company or have a public relations firm on retainer. And like all training, have them involved in the simulation exercise.
2: Yeah, that's good advice. Well, I can imagine you have just countless, endless fascinating stories from your very lengthy and impressive career. Probably most of the stories you can't share. (laughs) True. Do you have any examples that you can share with our listeners about how great external communication can absolutely positively impact outcomes following a crisis?
0: Yeah, you know, that's a great question, Peter. I mean, there's so many different ways to communicate externally, internally, and sometimes you forget how far reaching it can be. You know, it can take you down many roads, depending on the type of location of the event. One example, I think I'm going back to 2003, which gives me a lot of runway here. During the Madrid hotel bombings, we had a family in close proximity of the bombings, And we were informed that westerners were being targeted with no company resources in the area we quickly contacted the embassy in washington that put us in contact with the u.s embassy in madrid and working with the embassy and the family we extracted them out as quickly as possible as a precaution this shows that communications from an international perspective is just as important as contacting domestic staff as business continuity professionals We need to take into account so many various situations and be ready to take decisive action quickly. Communications is always the key to success in an event, regardless of the situation. If you have a program with an international presence, get the numbers of those government entities in your plan. You never know when you may need it.
2: Yeah, without a doubt. You're right. Communication is critical because I always end my podcast with this, but nothing ever goes 100% according to plan and you got to communicate or you're not going to be able to recover. So, so true. true. Very true. Well, we typically close out each episode just by asking our guests to give our listeners a really practical tip they can implement immediately to make a positive impact on their organization. So in your opinion, what can the audience do today, like walking away from listening to this, to help improve their overall company's safety culture?
0: Well, I would have to say that there are two things I would like the listeners to take away from this session. One for the company and another for professional growth. First, obviously, is communications. Test often up and down the organization. Get people comfortable with receiving the messages. This not only ensures the accuracy of the contact information, but it's a real reminder that any time an event could occur and their participation may be needed. Secondly, is a professional tip for business continuity planners out there. From a growth perspective, look into taking FEMA classes in areas of incident management, pandemic planning, and many other interesting topics. There are no costs and they're all online. They're not easy. Some of them are very difficult. So plan to take your time with them. Along with this, you know, volunteer with the Red Cross as a disaster action team member. You'll work in your local area and side-by-side with first responders, helping people in need. Many responses are related to house fires. Many residents are sent out into the street in the winter months with nothing more than what's on their back. Traumatized, they need immediate help with clothes, food, and shelter. The Red Cross gets that to them. Not only is it personally rewarding, it gives you the experience to work side-by-side with first responders, which is another aspect of business continuity, that being Public-private sector collaboration.
2: Yeah, I, I've talked with folks before, and they oftentimes say that's the number one thing that people don't do that they should, which is to engage early and often before an emergency happens with your first responders. Don't make your first introduction to your first responders be when you're in the middle of a crisis. Absolutely,
0: absolutely. I can't tell you how many times I, you know, I worry. I, I see the fire chief come up to our building, and I have information farm right away. You know, where we have mm. people that may be trapped in elevators, and they like to get that information as early as possible.
2: Yeah, without a doubt. Well, Larry, great conversation. I absolutely appreciate you taking time to do this, all your expertise and advice on incorporating external communications into crisis management. If anyone listening has follow-up questions for you or just wants to connect, what's the best way for them to find you out there?
0: So, yes, please, any questions or comments, reach out to me on LinkedIn or at Lawrence Robert at
2: com. Okay, wonderful. Well, thanks again for taking time to join us on the Employee Safety Podcast. And for the rest of you out there, I said it before, but remember, nothing ever goes 100% according to plan in an emergency. So communication is incredibly important. If you can't communicate, you can't recover. Until next time.
1: Alert Media is changing the way your leaders and response teams connect and communicate effectively when seconds matter. We provide our customers with a comprehensive solution for monitoring threats around the world and deploying fast, effective emergency communication. You need a panic-proof solution for high-stakes moments. In just a few clicks, your team can send a multi-channel notification to an impacted group of people and confirm their safety immediately. When employee safety is at stake, don't just communicate. Connect and confirm with a robust emergency communication solution. Visit alertmedia.com for more information. You've been listening to the Employee Safety Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give a quick rating of the show. Just tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.